It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, this is a bit messy, isn't it? The euphoria of August has dissipated with some serious speed and with some serious reason. Manchester United have beaten 4-2 away at Leicester City, a catalogue of defensive errors and a toothless attack without any discernible, consistent plan of action. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is under pressure once again for the third or fourth time in his time as United manager and debates rage on fiercely across the country about his suitability for the task on hand at Old Trafford. And you get the sense the tide is turning against the Norwegian. The general opinion is that he's done a good job in stabilising United, improving the squad and the structures of the club, but that he appears unable to take the next step. Who is the alternative? There's little consensus there. Is it time to pull the trigger right now? Again, agreement is hard to find there. Fans have every right to question if he's the right man, but others argue well that he can still turn it around. He has in the past, that's for sure. United are only five points off the top of the Premier League still, but it's not the statistics which are the most damning, it's what we see on the pitch. Welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast Series 7, Episode 11, with me, Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. As always, it won't all be doom and gloom, um, I promise. It's an enormous week coming up as well, and another defining one in the Solskjaer era. Atalanta come to Old Trafford on Wednesday night in a win for United, is pretty much essential in the Champions League group stages. And then it's Liverpool who look perhaps unstoppably good. We'll be talking to Italian football journalist Jonathan Grade about Atalanta and what we can expect from the Italian side. Here is a small clip. The manager has got the sort of um, history that basically brought Genoa in sort of 2006 back from the brink and then had great success there. And then since then he went to Inter and it hasn't had any success and he nearly got sacked by Atalanta in 2016. So he's, um he honestly, he's, what they've done is unbelievable on, you know, really not on, on the European scale, not much of a budget. You know, they've got these players in and they've become this team that's feared, you know, in Italy and, and forward. So I think it's going to be a great game tomorrow on Wednesday night. I'm really looking forward to it because, you know, both teams will be on the attack and it should be a really good match to watch. That'll be at about 22 minutes into the show and we'll speak about the Liverpool game too after that. Jack, let's get stuck into the Leicester game first. It's been a couple of days and I'm sure everyone has watched the game by now or at least the highlights and we don't need to run through everything and put ourselves through that misery. It was a, a, a catalogue of errors, two great United goals, but a a terribly poor performance all round. Let's instead go straight into the bigger picture stuff. Is this the beginning of the end? It does feel that way. And we've been here before with Ollie in fairness. You know, I think we've we've thought it's kind of the beginning of the end. Like you said, there's been three or four other periods where since he's joined United as, as manager, where I think that there's been this sort of pressure, this bad run of form. To me, this feels a little different 
not even necessarily because the performances are worse than they've been before, but just because the expectations and the stakes are so much higher than they have been at any other point during his tenure as United manager. It's no longer acceptable to claim that we're in a rebuild. It's no longer acceptable to have a season where we, you know, show signs of improvement, improvement, but don't actually compete. Those aren't acceptable outcomes anymore. And I think that completely changes the way that you have to think about where this team is, where this team might be going and, and Solskjaer's role in that. Now, obviously it's a, I think if you were making the decision of do you keep Solskjaer, yes or no, in a vacuum without thinking about who would replace him, without thinking about the power structures involved at Man United and what that might mean moving forward, I, I think the, that decision becomes relatively simple at this point, you know, given the talent that we have and what we're seeing on the field. I think it becomes a lot trickier when you have so much else happening around this team because it isn't as simple as you get rid of Solskjaer and bring in you know, a, a world-class manager. There's A, no real obvious alternative and B, this is still a club that has lurched from disaster to disaster and made so yeah. many baffling decisions over the last almost a decade now. And so you get rid of Solskjaer, but does that really solve United's problems? It's also, and so I've gone through this this process. We're recording on Monday afternoon now, and we played on Saturday afternoon, almost exactly forty eight hours ago. We kicked off, so there's been plenty of time for this to digest. And and when I was making notes for this yesterday, my opinions on this was different to what they are now which is, um, it just shows kind of, well, it's part of the reason we record on a Monday sometimes rather than immediately after. Not only is the context of a lack of obvious alternative important, but I also think, and, and this is only something I've really thought on this Monday morning, now, uh, despite the the rain outside in Manchester and the fact that the result still seems grim and the performance and the situation and whatever, but a little bit more positive. The context is also that in an ideal world, we would want, Solskjaer to be successful, right? Yeah, I think so. And 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 that that desire is clearly there at the top of the club as well, and and all throughout the club, from the the, the playing squads to to right to the top of the club. And the other, I think, important context is a we want stability, not just so we we want Solskjaer to be successful, both because we want to see him do well, and him him leading United to something would be better than most other people. We also want stability, but the other thing is, unlike I think under Mourinho and Van Gaal, when it got to this stage. And I think this is the first time it's felt like the Van Gaal or Mourinho Moyes kind of gloom rather than a kind of slightly lesser a Solskjaer gloom, if that makes sense. This is the first time it feels like the, the other managers in terms of pressure and, and disappointment and dismay. But unlike those times, there are a, a myriad of possible solutions and I think that is is important. And, and and it's why when we recorded after bad defeats with Mourinho and Van Gaal and Moyes, well, we didn't record with Moyes, but when we recorded after Van Gaal and Mourinho, it, it, we, <laughs> we could blame players, we could blame the manager, we could blame the performance, we could make excuses, but we could rarely come up with really obvious solutions. Whereas it now feels like there is a string of possible solutions, partly because the squad has got better, but also because we've seen Solskjaer come out of this before. And so I think that is is what I woke up this morning feeling of maybe it's not such an obvious decision to make because 
if if one uh, uh, and in order to now stay and be successful, social has to be ruthless and make these decisions, which we can go on and, and talk about. But it does fill me with a, a little bit of faith that there are these. Every, everyone has an idea of what could change at United to make it work, and that's not always been true when the manager's been under pressure in the past. I mean, I, I think I think solutions are there mainly because the the talent pool that we have at the club now is so much better than it was in those exactly, previous yeah. uh, previous years. You know, which yeah. is 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 both a good thing, but also potentially a bad thing for Solskjaer because it also means the pressure is so much higher. Absolutely, because yeah. I think both because we have higher expectations for this team in general, but also because we do have more obvious potential solutions at his disposal. It means if the next month to six weeks goes horribly wrong and we don't see any improvement and that there is less and less argument, less and less excuses, if you like, reasons to keep Solskjaer around when, you know, there are these solutions here. So yeah, that, you know, that is a good thing and it, it does, it does make you think that this team is not inevitable that we keep playing like yeah. this all season. But it also means I think that there is more pressure on Solskjaer in the next few weeks to sort this out because, I mean, if you just think of it in its simplest terms, from last season, United have signed three players that were, if not world-class, borderline world-class in Varane, Sancho and Ronaldo. You know, these weren't developmental signings. These were players coming here as yeah. the finished product. And with that, and also a squad that was already pretty good, we've, we've not gone anywhere. And that, and it, at that point, it starts to become tricky, I think, to have... I, I think what fans are struggling with and what I've struggled with at times, I've also, like you have, sort of flip-flopped my my thoughts on this sort of goes with with the hour. But I yeah. think what, what troubles some fans and what I've been troubled with at times is that, yes, there are all these solutions there because we have a lot of, a lot of very good players. But if we haven't gone anywhere this season when we have a very good squad, what reason do we have to think that Solskjaer will improve it now in the next six weeks? Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And we're in a bad place right now. And and so much has to improve. It's 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 been so far from good enough, and the performance was really really poor in in every way. The contrast between the way that Leicester pressed and Leicester built their play up, and the way that United basically just improvised in every department was I, I mean telling. I can think of a, a worse superlative, but telling um, it will do. And it just, it, it it felt like the match which makes it incredibly hard to argue against those that say Solskjaer isn't tactically astute enough or Solskjaer and his coaching staff. It was telling as well how much Brendan Rodgers revealed after the game about, you know, how easy it was to, to play through United. You don't see managers give that away yeah. very often because, you know, usually they want to keep their sort of tactical ideas to themselves. But I think it was just so obvious to everyone watching what the problem was with United that, it was very telling that Rogers was so open to just say they didn't press us, they didn't put pressure on the ball, and they weren't tracking runs in midfield, so we could just play through them. Yeah, it was just it was so easy, an amateur level of performance. It, there can obviously be some individual blame for Maguire not being awake enough or or making mistakes, and no other mistakes made. But I think what's also telling in the last few weeks and this season as a whole is blame for individual players hasn't been certainly from from my perspective I don't really come out of the games where we've played poorly in it and have a kind of one or two or three players where I think yeah that was down to them and that means 
just from before you even think about watching the game back or looking at statistics or or thinking about in further detail, instantly that tells you that it's a, a coaching problem rather than a player problem. Because and and also coming out of the international break doesn't help this because Pogba had a couple of great games for France. Shaw looked okay for England. Sancho looked brilliant for England. Lingard has looked great for England. Ronaldo scored a hat trick. Fernandez did well for Portugal. McTominay did well for Scotland. This was all of these. All of our players played well, and then they come into a United shirt and everything looks so dysfunctional and disjointed and that again highlights it um yeah absolutely I think yeah this, this for me had massive shades of the the infamous 5-3 to Leicester back in what was that 2015 16 under Van Hal I think 2015 it, yeah I, I think you know not just because we obviously lost uh, by two goals at Leicester conceding four in this case five in that case but also I think because I remember that Leicester game for being a quite early on in the season but b it was the first time I think that we'd seen all four of Di Maria, Van Persie, yeah. Falcao and Rooney play together. And there was so much excitement at that front four and what they might be able to do. And this wasn't the first time that we'd seen Pogba, Fernandez, Sancho, Greenwood and Ronaldo play together. But it, you know, it fe- felt like, you know, this is a great attacking line. We have so much talent on the pitch. And it just all sort of crumbled because just as it felt six, six years ago now, as if you were sort of ho- putting those players on the pitch without that much of a plan, just hoping that their talent would come through. It felt eerily similar. And it was a, a well-coached, very cohesive yeah. Leicester team that sort of played through us. And it, it, the the similarities, I think, were, were very I telling. think what's most worrying at the moment is uh, for all uh, the, the good things, the two main good things that Solskjaer has done is rebuilt the squad in a positive way and got a really good harmony to the squad where the relationships within it are really good. And as a general point, improve the mood at United. And within weeks, we're seeing that evaporate. Before we talk about any more specific stuff about the Leicester game and what needs to change, what worries me is that if this is going to end with Solskjaer, you know it's not going to end before it gets ugly. It'll end ugly because you can't trust the people at the top of the club to end it at the right time. And they're they're in this, as always with United, they're in this pickle where they don't want to look bad at having made the wrong decision by giving Solskjaer a, a new extended contract and Mike Feeling a new extended contract, perhaps prematurely on both accounts, as they did originally. And so they're not going to pull the trigger early enough. If, if it needs to be pulled, lots has been spent on getting this manager, his squad. And if another manager, that's going to have to happen again, the new process and the people with the power to make these decisions haven't shown that they have the knowledge or the decision making required to sort it out. So a lot of people who want Solskjaer to stay, me included, partly maintain that belief because there's no trust in the board to make the next decision the right one. We can't point to a good decision in the last eight years. Moyes was wrong. Van Gaal was wrong. Mourinho was wrong. Ole was good in a way, but then no in another way. There's been contracts at weird times, some uh, poor signings, some poor selling. And you just don't want to see all the good work that Solskjaer's done eroded. But my fear, and it's what I'm more positive today, but yesterday was very down about it. My fear was that he'll leave and all of that would have been eroded and we'll be back at, not square one, but maybe square two or three instead of where we're at now, which say 10 is winning the league. We're at kind of... Seven. Yeah, I think that is a, a real worry here that it's not even really to do with credit in the bank. It's just that on the pitch, even just thinking about on the pitch, Solskjaer has taken this team forward a long way. And it's troubling to think that that could easily yeah. be undone by a string of bad results. You know, we know from the, from past experience that 
no matter who the manager is, bad results foster bad environments. You know, winning can solve a lot of problems and losing creates a lot of problems. And no matter how harmonious this dressing room might be, no matter how great a man manager, manager Solskjaer might be, there is only so much losing that you can sustain while keeping a, a dressing room together, while keeping a dressing room in good spirits. And I don't think that we've got anywhere near that point, but I, th- I think there is potential for that to happen if we keep going on like this, because it's not lost on the players in the dressing room either how much talent is in this is in this squad. You know, someone like Ronaldo is not going to accept United coming home fifth or sixth in the league and, you know, not fighting for any trophies. It's just not going to happen. Absolutely, so yeah. at what point does that start to become a worry and start to erode away some of the great, you know, squad rebuild that Solskjaer has done at United? And at what point as well does do the fans start to, you know, I think there is already elements of the fans not turning on Solskjaer, but certainly becoming annoyed at what we're seeing. But at what point does Solskjaer start to become a bit of a villain in the eyes of fans? You know, he doesn't deserve to to leave United at whatever point that happens with our most most vivid memories of him being bad ones because overall he's done a very good job. And so it's just a bit of a worry, I think, that even just from an emotional side of things that Solskjaer could be remembered badly when he doesn't deserve to be. But that on the pitch, if we... Too much losing can start to see this team going a long, a long way. He, he's got to be ruthless now and be a bit selfish yeah. and 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 do what's best for himself, which is to be ruthless and and try and turn things around and forget loyalties to certain players and perhaps certain coaches, which a lot of people have suggested is a problem. Um, that the the coach Solskjaer is obviously in in the Fergie mold of a proper club manager rather than head coach, and he leaves most of the coaching work to 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 his coaching staff. And if that's not good enough, and from what we can tell, it isn't. Because what was incredible about the Leicester game was just there's this idea that, and we can talk more about Ronaldo in a second, but that Ronaldo's reluctancy to press is it just stops United from being able to press, and it's just not true. But you saw him kind of pull Greenwood forward to press at one point, but the, the there's no point just running towards players who have the ball because Leicester can just play through it. Any average team could play through it. And it was, if if you're going to press a team, there has to be some some planning to it, some sophistication to it of who's going to go where, who's going to pin onto what player, who's going to cover into the space that one player leaves. And it's, it, it is very difficult to create a team, a, a brilliant pressing team. It's difficult. But to create a team that can press and win the ball back a few times a game isn't so difficult and, and absolutely should not be difficult for the Manchester United coaching staff. It should be one, and we just haven't seen it of, for the last few years, but this was a really bad example of it. And Leicester just showed so much more sophistication in, in how they set up. They played with a back five, yes, but then they played out of the back by having two centre-backs in their normal centre-back position. Daniel Amati shifted a little bit right, and then Pereira could go higher up as a right midfielder to stretch the pitch. Whereas United, it was a just a, a collection of players running at the box, taking long shot, not finding that pass into the box. And, and what we've seen consistently over the last few weeks. And then when it came to United trying to play out from the back, it was Maguire and Lindelof split, you know, wide outside the edges of the box, but Matic wasn't dropping deep enough to fill, fill that space, which is what normally happens when you have two centre-backs dropping that deep and that wide. It also, I, I, there, there seems to have been, in my opinion, a, a sort of misplaced, not, not anger, but a sort of analysis of this game that somehow United have to press to be a successful team. And it's this focus on Ronaldo not pressing, meaning that we can't defend properly. It's, it's just wrong, in my opinion, because you don't have to be a team that presses 
incessantly yeah, every minute yeah. of the game to be successful. Yes, there have been a lot of successful teams in recent years that have employed that tactic. You know, Liverpool, Man City being obvious ones. Yeah. But there are plenty of examples from both recent times and in years gone by that you can be a very, very good team and not be pre- not be pressing the other team high all the time. The, the key though is that a, you choose your moments when to do it, and B, that when you do when you do it, it's coherent. How many times in three, four years ago did we sit here and say, "Oh, there goes Herrera again with his yeah. one-man press," and it was awful under Mourinho and under Van Hal because <laughs> yeah. Herrera would do it and it'd be only him. And so all you end up doing is having one player just get dragged out of position and make himself making himself tired for no reason. And it's kind of what happens at times at United. It's like maybe Sancho will press, maybe Ronaldo press, and he did do it a couple of times. Maybe Greenwood would press, but but that's it. There's clearly no planning gone into it. If we want to be a team that presses, drop Ronaldo or tell him, if you don't press, you, you're being dropped and actually have a plan around it. Or if we're not, that's but fine. But it's not even that. I, I, I completely agree. The, the first point about you, you don't have to be a pressing side. That Yeah, that idea is bollocks anyway. You can be successful without that. You all have to make, any team has to make pressures at some point in the game, but you don't have to be this... Uh, gegen pressing heavy metal football that everyone thinks everyone has to be since Jurgen Klopp came to England. All, we, all you have to do is look at United's results. Who do we struggle against? We struggle, yes, against teams that press high, but also against teams that put no pressure on the ball until we get into their own half. Absolutely, yeah. But uh, the point on Ronaldo, Ronaldo doesn't have to press for United to be successful at it. And, and this is this is a key point. A lot of conversation this week has centred around Ronaldo making United completely ineffective. But the point is, if you're going to sign Ronaldo and, and Solskjaer's chosen to do that, and then if you're going to start I mean, he's going to be your main man, which is absolutely fine and potentially brilliant because he's an amazing goal scorer. But you have to play to his strengths. And this is a problem that we're we're shoehorning lots of great players into the same team and sacrificing balance in a massive way. But you don't need Ronaldo to press. You could have a five-man... And Leicester had a five-man press against United and it works time and time again. United could have a five-man press that doesn't involve Cristiano Ronaldo. You'd have on either side... You'd have the, the two wingers, one on, say say we're pressing Leicester's right back. You'd have the left winger pressing. You'd have Bruno coming across, the right winger coming across, one central midfielder and the left back. That doesn't involve Ronaldo. Ronaldo could be there to, to mark someone or take up space or even drop back into midfield to cover someone. And he does do that sometimes, but he doesn't have to be involved in the press. So this idea that Ronaldo stops it being possible isn't true. And it goes again for the way we attack. We've got Cristiano Ronaldo, who is a serial shooter. That is how he's successful. He shoots a ridiculous number of times per game and yet we're insisting on having everyone else in the team do the same Bruno Fernandes is a serial shooter tell him to drop back he's playing kind of as a shadow striker which isn't where he was at his best in the last 18 months you've got to tell Bruno to drop back and then there's less chance of getting hit on the break you leave the midfield exposed because at the moment we're not playing a 4-2-3-1 we're playing a a, a 4-2-4 effectively with Bruno Fernandes alongside Ronaldo because he's being seen as a guy who has to press because Ronaldo can't it's all it's like this massive confuddle of of ideas all kind of mashed together which obviously isn't going to work I mean on on the pressing point I, I I think you can press without having one player contributing, but I think it makes it much more difficult and much riskier. Because in that scenario that you that you just played out, the five-man press there requires you to bring out one midfielder and one defender to do that. And if they then play out the press, you've you've only got three outfield players left or four outfield players left. Yeah, to- but Ronaldo, I mean, Ronaldo drops back 
a lot of the time and he's when Ronaldo knows he has to sprint back to stop the team conceding he does it but in that situation the, it wouldn't normally be here because he wouldn't drop back further than the guy's press I, I guess the point is the, the point about playing to your strengths is completely right and I think you, you do that both in attack and in defence and I think if you have a striker that isn't going to press no matter what I, I don't see the point in trying to play a high pressing game no when, but I'm not I'm not saying just, you would then play a, a, a constant pressure of a game but when you do need to press then you have a, a, a proper plan for it I'm not saying United then have to become a pressing team but I'm, the point was against Leicester is that we didn't just not press sometimes we did it and we just do it with one or two players no cover no plan whatever that's the problem and, and, yeah, and bear in mind yeah. that Ronaldo is going to be playing yeah that point 100% it's when it happens you need to be coherent yeah. with it there's no point just one guy going yeah. and everyone else sort of staring, looking at him. On the on the, the sort of broader point, you're completely right about not playing to our strengths because we, we've basically got in our attack three players in Greenwood, Ronaldo and Fernandez who all sort of want to pl- not play the same role, but they want to play the same part in the attacks. And that is generally being the ones finishing them off. And, you know, that means that you, you know, you get some spectacular goals that we've seen, you know, Ronaldo against Newcastle, Greenwood against Leicester, Fernandez against Newcastle. We've scored plenty of great goals, but... It, it ends up being a bit incoherent because they all are, are playing the same sort of role. When you sign Cristiano Ronaldo, I don't see the point in signing him and then not building your team around him. Because he, if you do, we, he's proven it for 10, 15 years and still proves it yeah. now at a very high level that if you create for him, he's going to put the ball in the net. Ronaldo at this point in his career, not a great player in terms of like an all-round player. He doesn't have that much to his game and we're seeing that and that's fine. I think we all knew that when he joined United. The point yeah. is, if you construct a team to create chances for him, he will score 30, 35 goals a season and there's no replacement for that. So why aren't we constructing the team with that in mind? Well, it was the same with Romelu Lukaku, wasn't it? We didn't really, we didn't play to his strengths as much and he didn't suit he, he didn't, yeah. he, he was uh, sometimes brilliant and sometimes frustrating, but because we didn't play to his strengths, if Ronaldo is going to be United's first choice, then play to his strengths, get crosses in for him. How many times have we seen Ronaldo head a ball this year? He's one of the, the greatest headers of a ball the, the game's ever yeah. seen. Incredibly clinical. And so then you, you should be playing Jadon Sancho, who is a creative chances rather than a goal scorer. You should drop but Bruno Fernandes the, deeper so that right he can... as well, where, as we said last week, he's yeah. more comfortable creating chances because he can go to the byline and get crosses in. When we have been putting crosses in recently, they've been from so deep. It's usually either the fullbacks or Fernandez when he peels off into those sort of wide areas. And the crosses are coming in from, you know, 30, 35 yeah. yards out. They should be coming in, in from level with the box, just out wide. And there's also, there's this ruthlessness has to happen because Paul Pogba still hasn't signed the contract and had a great start to the season and he's still playing well sometimes, but other times not. And that's not, I mean, if he was playing, if he was proving himself undroppable, then fine, but he's not anymore. He, he was at the start of the season. He's not anymore. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to drop him in favour of the balance of the team. And you might even have to drop Mason Greenwood sometimes because he's been brilliant, but can he and Ronaldo play at their best together? They're both just people who, they're both players who, who just love to shoot as is Bruno kind of but if you tell you, you've got to tell Bruno Fernandes to drop back a bit more and to shoot less and find the final ball more times and, and Bruno of those three has shown that he is the most capable of, of changing yeah. from that and being more and he, he will absolutely do what he's told and I think the same is true for Mason Greenwood yeah. if you tell him that his job is yes to score but to mainly focus on making chances for Ronaldo, then we'll we'll see what happens. Rashford will do it as well. There there are loads of options in this, but the the point now is that there has to be one chosen and it has to be stuck to. We've got to be more disciplined. It's all well and good having fluidity in the attack, but really, teams don't have fluid attacks. 
they have three players who look very good moving across the pitch and switching positions, but that is a, a, a very well-practiced, well-oiled thing that's been worked on in the training ground. And it's, Solskjaer has got to move on from, I don't think he is, I don't think he feels obliged to start certain players. I think he has got the ruthless streak in him to not feel that. But I think he, it feels to me like he feels he can put them all in the team and be successful, but that that's not, it's not the time to do that right now. He needs to go back and, and put the team yeah. first above the players. And if, if he does that, then I think we can see things turn around pretty soon. I think that there's an argument for, I, I hate, I hate saying that we should drop Mason Greenwood because he's just been playing so well. He's, you know, he's been without a doubt our player of the season so far. Yeah. But yeah, same, I think, but- you know, sitting here talking through this, I think there's an argument. To, to to try playing Ronaldo through the middle, Fernandez at number 10, Sancho on the right, and then maybe Pogba, maybe Rashford on the left. Because I, th- I think, you know, getting Pogba on the left, where he is ex- an extremely creative player, as we've seen already this season, he is able to provide some of that service. Sancho on the right is able to be much more creative than he has been on the left. And then Fernandez is much more capable of playing that creative role than Greenwood is. I think that that would be a team that I would like to see and basically just set the team up to maximise Ronaldo because of all of our players, if you maximise what Cristiano Ronaldo can offer, that is going to have a massive effect on what this team does rather than maximising you know, Greenwood or Fernandez, as good as they are, they're not going yeah. to score 35 goals. There's plenty of other things that we could suggest and could be changed. But the, the point is that what's happening right now is... On midfield. <laughs> I know. But you know what I think it's proved as well? A good defensive midfielder doesn't solve that performance. Not not one bit, really. That that was that defeat was down to the the team as a whole. It wasn't down to the lack of midfielding, the lack of quality in midfield. And I and I say that as someone that has thought for a long time that defensive midfielder would change a lot at United, and I, I it, it clearly would. But this one in particular, as opposed to the other poor games this season, which I think have partly been down to that. But this one in particular was a. a a full team thing. Um, yeah, there's lots more changes we could discuss, but we should move on. I, I think it, yeah, I think it would have helped some of, some of Leicester's attacks, but I think it basically yeah. would have just changed the areas that they attacked. Rather than having everything running through Tielemans and Madison, it probably would have gone to Kelechi and, and Pereira on the wings. You know, that it, it would have just changed the areas Leicester attacked because we were just so bad all across the pitch defensively. It was kamikaze stuff. High fullbacks, a striker who's not, moving about wingers who are pressing just by themselves midfielders who are having to cover what about 50 yards of space both width wise and vertically um, we were we were so scared just, to yeah. death of, of Vardy running in behind that we that we were so deep and then when, when you're deep that's fine but then you have to be compact or we managed to be deep and not compact and there was just so much space in in midfield I mean Tielemans just just ran the game he, he ran us absolutely yeah. ragged well it's, it's one of I think Gary Neville calls this United team an odd one but other people, uh, this United team is confusing. But this performance was confused. It was we didn't really know what we were doing, and that's pretty damning, I think. Okay, we're joined by Jonathan Gray now to talk Atalanta. Jonathan is the author of Golazzo, the Football Italia Years, having worked on the famous Channel Four show in its nineties heyday. Jonathan, thank you for joining us. Um, I think it'd be a, a good place to start just by summing up. Atalanta briefly and this is not your standard Italian team um, it's, it's time for us to forget Catanaccio because this isn't quite that is it? It really isn't it's an it's one of the most incredible stories in European football how this team which traditionally has sort of gone between Serie A and Serie B the Italian second division and in recent years they've become this incredible 
I won't say superpower, but it's incredible um, side that's forced their way into the sort of Champions League and they were in the Europa League to start with and, and all done with um, under this manager, Gian Piero Gasparini, who's had sort of limited success in his in previous jobs. And it's not just the fact they've got to where they are and, you know, without spending a lot. It's it's basically the way they play. It's it's they play with in such an attacking fashion. It, it, they're they're basically some say the best team to watch in Italy because of the their their attitude to it. They're, they they just they just want to entertain. Relentless attacking football, which is exactly what Manchester United uh, perhaps don't need right now. But this is a you mentioned yeah a couple of years in the Champions League now and in both years and also in the Europa League where they played Everton but both years in the Champions League have come up against English teams and received thumpings off Liverpool and City but also managed to beat Liverpool at Anfield and draw with City so it's, it seems to me like a team who if you can get past them and and, and survive the, uh, the their kind of onslaught then you can do well but otherwise, if it comes off for Atalanta, then it, it really can come off against even the very best team. Yeah, it really can. I mean, that that result at um, Liverpool was, um, was staggering, really. I mean, um, I'm, I cannot remember what sort of stage of the group it came in, but it was a sort of it was a sort of statement that that night that they went out they went up to Anfield and and won two nil, which was um, not expected. I mean, they are missing a few key players. Um, Coming into tonight's game, Goosens is out, who's been a key player for um, for them. But you know they've got they've got such great attacking talent with um, Ilicic in particular and Muriel. Um, they they sort of it's it's a great story, but you know they've they've obviously also been in the Italian Cup final last season, which they didn't win. Um, but they just um, it's just carried on where they left off last year. They were the first season in the Champions League. They they went out in the quarterfinals um, behind closed doors, obviously, to Paris Saint-Germain. Paris Saint-Germain scored two goals in injury time to to win that game. So they were so close to the semi-finals. And last year they played Real Madrid in the last sixteen, and um, there was a very controversial early red card for um, I can't remember who it was, but it was it might have been the keeper, mm. and that sort of it was very harsh and obviously that sort of ruled out any chance they had of going through that. But, um, you know, they, they picked up lately um, in the league. They suffered a defeat to Milan, but overall the form's been good. And, you know, they, they'll, they'll obviously go to Old Trafford with no fear, but um, obviously know that they're up against whatever happened on Saturday, a very, very formidable team. Yeah, we've we've mentioned that they're an attacking team, but how do they, can you talk us through how they, how they line up? It's, it's a three man defense, isn't it? Yeah. It's just, it's, uh, it's a three, four, three and they just, um, they just bomb forward. I mean, that, that is the strategy. Um, they, it's just traditionally everyone says it's, it's non-Italian, but Serie A is, is a completely different league. It's not at the level of the premier league, but, uh, for entertainment, it it honestly is um is I think it's a, on average the highest goal scoring league in Europe, averaging th- over three goals a game. So it's it, it's you know and um, it, it suits them. That's why they've got results because they've got these um they've got these exciting players going forwards and they 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 are a, they are a um a club steeped in a bit of history. You know the the club is <laughs> the club is actually named after a Greek goddess. Mm. They've had some big big name Italian players play for them over the years they have it's where Filippo and Zaghi started Christian Vieri was there so you know they've got they've got some 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 rich history and um you know they've 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 never been ever at this point at this level in 
in the history of the club. And it's it's a phenomenal achievement to be there consistently without spending much money. Yeah. Who are the key players to watch out for? Because Matteo Bassini is normally the, the kind of central figure of the forward line, but he's injured. So who will be coming in for him? Yeah, they've got a few players out. Um, I would say definitely Ilicic, who's one of their key strikers, Zapata. Zapata came back late from international duty, so I'm not sure whether he featured much at the weekend. They won 4-1 at Empoli. Uh, Muriel, uh, Darun and Freuler in midfield. And, you know, they, they, they just... Ilicic is the main threat, I would say, because of his record at, at home and in Europe. He, he is um, very much seen as a key man. Interesting. Um, yeah, a couple of injuries uh, to Vecina and to, I think, Rafael Toloi, who's in defence, has actually come back now, um, which is a, a boost for Atalanta. But what are you expecting for, for Wednesday's game? Confident that it's another upset? Or? Uh, do you know what? I, 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 I think United are possibly the most unpredictable team in Europe at the moment. Because they yeah. they, they they scrape their way yeah. through that that Valencia um sorry um, Villarreal game, um but they you know there's still a threat I'm I'm sure Ronaldo's going to feature. I don't know whether he'll start but I'm sure he'll feature to some extent but you know they yeah. they will the thing that will suit United is they will come to United without fear and, and will will not change their strategy at all they'll come to attack and while that's a danger um for united defensively you know they haven't played they haven't played at old trafford there's a lot of um it, it's it's sort of another step into the unknown for them but given what they've done they won't yeah. go to old trafford with fear they'll go there with great respect for united but they'll they'll go to win the game and um you know, it's, it should be a, a great game because it's going to be two sides, attacking sides and uh, great atmosphere. And I, I think it's, um, I don't know what's going to happen. I think it's very, very hard to call this game because um, United are so up and down at the moment. Yeah, you get the sense that it, it could be a kind of game like when we play against Leeds where another very open team who bomb forward. And if things go well for yeah. United and we play well, then we could tear Atalanta apart in the same way we have done with Leeds and with Roma last season and Real Sociedad. On the other hand, it could be the opposite where Atalanta are so good that we get torn apart um, and then and then they have something to hold on to after that. Yeah, um, they. Um, I think a lot depends on, on the first goal. I think if United score it, you know, the, it will get the crowd massively behind them and, you know... It, and then Atalanta on the back foot, and then can they play their attacking game from behind? Whereas if Atalanta go go one up, then you've got United coming forward and Atalanta with their players to hit them on the break. So I think the first goal is going to be very important in this game because I think if United get it, that that changes things a lot for Atalanta. Absolutely. Well, it's going to be an interesting one. Thank you for coming on the show. No worries. No worries. Good luck tomorrow night. I'm looking forward to watching the game. Okay, Jack, we should be looking forward to a, a exciting game based on what Jonathan has told us about Atalanta and what we've seen from them over the past couple of years. The, the next week is a massive one and we spoke about the changes we want to see. And tell me your two teams for Atalanta and Liverpool because I think there'll be a lot of people wanting a number of, well, several changes, three or four changes to each side based on the Leicester game. Yeah, I think I think it's hard to name a team for both because I think what you do at the weekend for Liverpool is to some degree dependent on how we play against Atalanta. I think against Atalanta, yeah. I would have that team that I just mentioned. So the usual back five, assuming that everyone is fit, you know, De Gea or, yeah, De Gea, I don't think Henderson will play in the Champions League this year, although he is, he is back fit now, isn't he? Yeah, he is. 
So we'll see if he comes in. But then Wan-Bissaka, Maguire would be Varane, but will be Lindelof probably because I think Varane is still out and sure. Then I think I'd go Fred and McTominay in midfield. I think Atalanta are a team that are very mobile, that are going to press us high and that I think are going to try and hit us on the counter-attack when they get the opportunity. So I think we want that extra mobility of them two in there. Then I think I'd go Sancho on the right, Fernandes at number 10, Pogba on the left and Ronaldo through the middle. I think we need to, I think we need to have that team with Sancho playing in his proper position with everything focused on creating for our main goal scorer. I think we need to have that team on the pitch and sort of see if that helps us create more because that's yeah. been sort of an underrated part of our struggles at the start of the season that we, we just aren't creating chances. Yeah, there's a bit of me that's tempted to, that would be tempted to start Edinson Cavani. But I also think it would be, in, a, in an ideal world, we would beat Atalanta with Ronaldo and show, and put in a good performance and show that it's possible to do that with Ronaldo leading the line because that would really quiet and everything. And I think Atalanta are going to, it could be quite an end-to-end game if we allow it to. And I think that's almost a good idea given how good we are on the counter-attack. And I think in that case, then you want kind of a high-paced United team. And in that case, you want Rashford and Sancho. And those two plus Bruno serving, uh, serving Ronaldo with the, the assurance of McTominay and Fred is a good recipe and one that I think will do well. I think that's what's, what's, what's hopeful about this is that you still, I still look at that Atalanta game and think, yeah, that could be a turning point. So we're not at the kind of, we're, we're not at the point of turning back yet, are we? No, of definitely no not. Turning but back, this, sorry. This, this becomes a, a massive game because if you lose yeah. this, you know, then we're then on three points. Atalanta go to seven, assuming that Villarreal beat uh, Young Boys. You know, they then go to... Yeah, I was going to say that actually. Do... <laughs> Because I, I think if if we don't get out of the Champions League group stages, then that suddenly makes the possibility of Solskjaer being sacked much more imminent than if we're... I think we could be... If we if we progress in the Champions League but are sick for Christmas, I, I think he'd probably still be here. But if we're out of the Champions League and fifth at Christmas but not looking good, then I think he couldn't be... Then he might not be here. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think I think the Champions League... I don't think a good Champions League group stage does that much in Solskjaer's favour. But I think it can do a lot to damage him if we if we go out. You know, because I think it's it's a group that we should be winning. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And at this stage, I don't think getting out of the group, even winning the group is a big enough achievement to sort of swing the scales massively in Solskjaer's favour. But getting knocked out... Well, we've out, already lost the young boys, so it can't be that well, much true. It's a problem. Yeah, and I, I, but I think getting knocked out would, would be really, really damaging. Especially if, if it's getting knocked out while, you know, not say on the last day, you know, like how we did against, uh, when we were under Van Gaal against Wolfsburg, where it's like you play okay for most of it and you have an aw- one awful game. If yeah. it's like, you know, we basically lose or draw all of our Champions League games from now, I think that's really yeah. damaging. Yeah. But I am going into Wednesday's game with a bit of hope, perhaps stupidly. Yesterday, I certainly wasn't. I was looking at it and, and was terrified that it could be nearing the end. Um, but it, 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 it's still somehow an exciting week. Champions League night at home and then Liverpool on Sunday. And I think that that kind of is to the, that kind of proves at the good job that Solskjaer has done. This start to the season has been really bad. But the fact that even after poor starts to the season, I'm still excited to go and watch United against two good teams kind of underlines that how much better this is than it was four years ago and six years ago and whatever. How, how do you think we should approach Liverpool? It's it's tough. It's tough because I think I want to say that you approach it really aggressively and basically just just try and blitz them out of the game. 
and you know don't give them a moment to settle but Liverpool are a team that I think are better prepared to handle that and thrive on it than most but then again I, I think if we've seen United in so many big games under Solskjaer basically be under siege for 85 of the 90 minutes and come out with a good result and I hate us playing that way but you know it, it's worked I, d- I don't think that's the way to go against Liverpool I think they just have too much quality they have too much quality both in terms of their 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 system, their coherence, their their movement, but also just the individual quality, especially with Mohamed Salah, is just too much. And I don't think we'd survive like that. So I think we need to be aggressive against Liverpool. I, it's, I don't think it's going to be a case of, you know, basically all out, all out pressing, you know, be it uber, uber aggressive from minute one. But I think it's going to take us, we need to control spells of the game, basically, against Liverpool. Because I think trying to play a game against them, either going toe-to-toe in terms of playing an end-to-end game, or just sitting back and hoping that we can survive and hitting them on the counter-attack. I don't see either of them working. I think we need to we need to establish a foothold in the game, on the ball, not just defensively, early on in the game, and establish some control. Yeah, I think control early on is key. But I think the setup that has the biggest chance of working for United is going to be a reasonably defensive one and hit them on the counter-attack. And it's worked in the past and there's, we've got better quality than we used to. So it would probably work again, but there does have to be that, there does have to be that early period of control, I think. And you, you never, it's kind of, it's a fine line, isn't it? Cause you never want to lose control so much that the crowd gets really antsy and you, you basically need to have a, you kind of need to keep Liverpool playing just outside your final third, not right round the box and chance after chance. And it, it's difficult to do that. And so maybe you are better going aggressive, but we'll see. I, I, th- I, I get I the sense that- it be won and lost out wide. I think a lot of it comes down to how we're able to defend Robertson and Trent. And then also yeah. how well we are able to exploit the spaces that they leave behind when they push forward, when we win the ball back. I think that will, cut, that will dictate a lot of how this game ends up. Yeah. We've seen in the past, we've had a lot of success against Liverpool down the wings, especially Rashford has had a lot of success against Trent playing on the left. But it, the flip side of, of trying to exploit that space is that you give them even more space to work in going forward. Yeah. It's very therapeutic, this podcast, isn't it? It's put me in a much better frame of mind. <laughs> I think it's because you just talking, talking effectively to yourself on, on Twitter or in your own head, it, it just makes you so, uh, you can just get so wound up in your own thoughts, can't you? So having someone to actually hear, hear someone else's voice on the subject. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very, very cathartic. Well, so the more you talk about it, kind of the more hopeful you get. You and get more I, rational, I think. Maybe not hopeful in yeah. every... I think in this situation, yes, more hopeful, but you get more rational about it, I think. Yeah. So two weeks by the end of the week. <laughs> I don't know about that. But I, I mean, this is Solskjaer fighting for his job and we've seen him turn into the <laughs> best manager in the world and those occasions. I, I would say a win, a win against Atalanta and then a draw against Liverpool. Our, our games against Liverpool recently have been very cagey and a lot of pretty boring draws. Yeah. I, in a strange way, Atalanta might be the more important one, partly because it comes first, but also because it actually is really important for our Champions League group. I think, I, I think probably best I can hope for is to beat Atalanta and draw with Liverpool. Um, and if we do that, I'll probably be happy. But it, again, it comes a bit down to performance, doesn't it? If it's another Villarreal, even though I'll be elated for the half an hour after the game, there will be that sense of that. That still wasn't And the same against Liverpool too. Um, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think we. I think you can actually. We could take a, draw, a a loss against Liverpool, but not if it's a a big loss or if it's just us. You know, 
basically being dominated for 90 minutes. Yeah, if, if if we lose to Liverpool but play all right and we've been beaten because they're really good, which they are, then I think people... It, it, we should be beating Liverpool at home with the squad we have, but given the run, I think people will say, okay, that's yeah. still an improvement. Right, let's let, let's wrap things up. We've got loads of patron questions to go to. If you want to listen to it and become a patron, you can sign up to hear our bonus Q&As at Patreon. You can find the details on our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. For more from Jack throughout the week, you can find him on Twitter at... At UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. And you can find me on Twitter at HarryRobinson64. And again, the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod, P-O-D at the end there. Hope this has been mildly therapeutic for you as well. Certainly has for us. Um, Have a great week. Hopefully, by the end of it, we will be talking uh, in positive terms with a smile on our faces after two brilliant wins. We'll see about that. But have a good one. Goodbye. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.